I had a thought around how can we make our code easier to review. Wait, wait, and wait. I just want to pause in the moment before the thing that Tom's about to say, because it's going to be something. Okay, <laughs> now I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm charged up. So, I mean, I'm no coder, but let me let me run it by y'all, because review is, like, if we break the word down, it's just to view again. And how's the best way to view something? Make it easier to read. The best way to review code is bigger fonts. <laughs> 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 Hello and welcome to another episode of The Bike Shed, a weekly podcast from your friends at ThoughtBot about developing great software. I'm Chris Toomey. And I'm Steph Carey. And together we're here to share a bit of what we've learned along the way. So Steph, how's your week going? It's going well. It's been a fun week. It's been a very fun day in general. So today we have some big changes going on at ThoughtBot. They're all internal at the moment, so I can't talk about them just yet. So I'm going to have to keep it hush hush. But at some point, I promise I will share all the fun details. But it's been a fun day just around some of those changes and being together as a team. And then it's also been a fun week because it's been another week of teaching two more cohorts for teaching RSpec. So that has been a lot of fun. It's also for anyone that has taught courses like you have, it can also just be really draining because it's just a lot of video chat time, especially right now since everything is remote. So it's a lot of live coding, a lot of questions, a lot of discussion, which is really great. It's also a lot of trying to figure out how to keep folks engaged because the course is three and a half hours. We do have breaks in there, but it's four days, three and a half hours. And it's also across various levels of skills. So we have folks that don't really write Ruby and they're new to RSpec and then we're teaching them how to test with RSpec. And then we have folks that are more like engineering managers and they're very experienced with testing in RSpec and Ruby. So trying to accommodate all of those different levels of experience has also been challenging. But one of the things that we've been doing while we're live coding Running the test week can be a little slow, so we've introduced bad jokes as our way to then pass some of the time. So on that note, I have a really bad joke for you. Are you ready? I am so ready. All right. This is the one that seemed to get the most smiles, so I'll share just the one bad joke. All right. So why do you never see elephants hiding in trees? I don't know. Why? Because they're so good at it. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very good bad joke. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been it's been a fun week. How about you? How's your week going? My week's been going well. We got a tweet from Svelte Society, which is a Twitter account associated with, I think, the core community in the Svelte world. So Svelte being the web framework that I've been playing around with more and more lately. And they commented on a recent episode, which was called In Search of an Acronym, because I don't think we ever named an acronym in it, but I was talking about the stack that I've been working with, and they named the stack. I think they went with R-I-S-T as the acronym, but then perfectly in keeping with the name of this podcast, the internet then responded as it does. And there were lots of emails and tweets and replies, and everyone was suggesting different versions of the acronym, which is just such a good little bike shed right there. Just a microcosm of what we're about. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Because I was, I think I was teaching during where I saw a lot of those notifications coming in. And I'm like, this is, this is perfect. That was fun to keep up with. Yeah, that was that was great. So I'm hoping at some point to talk a little bit more about what I've been experimenting with and what I've been finding, because I really do find that little combination to be particularly powerful in the way the pieces come together. But for now, we just get to have fun sort of rolling around an acronym because that seems like the right thing to do. 
Really important question though. So which acronym are you going with? Cause I think you're, you get the final vote here. This is your stack. The one you're excited about. You have a couple of options. So what's the winner? Ooh, uh, tune in next week to find out. <laughs> wait, really? You're going to make us wait? Uh, a, I need to decide. B, I don't really like acronyms, like stackronyms, particularly the like, this is our stack. And now it's a thing. I happen to find these technologies to work really well together. But the idea of like, I'm a mean stack developer is like, that is the opposite of how I want to approach the world. So the idea of actually locking into an acronym, I sort of want to not do. Uh, but also, if I can use this as a way to like tease future episodes and keep engagement with the audience and viral growth hacks or whatever, it seems like that's what I have to do, right? <laughs> that's that's fair. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll keep you honest. I'll follow up next episode. <laughs> and And you deserve some time to think about it. It's a big choice. So I respect that choice. Thank you. I appreciate that. But in other equally exciting news, I would say this is actually probably been out for a little while, but I only noticed it recently. GitHub now supports uploads of videos, so MP4 or MOV files, into pull request descriptions and things like that. So previously, it was only animated GIF files, G-I-F, GIF. That's how we pronounce that word. And that was the only thing that we could do. But GIF is a very outdated format. It's The file size is huge. And I always felt a certain limitation because if I made like a 20-second video that I turned into a GIF, it's this giant file. And if anyone's looking at that on their phone or you know any number of things, it was a limitation and a constraint. And the quality was just bad as well. But now with these movies, files, I feel all the more comfortable making videos for anything that is sort of a workflow or interaction or anything like that. Now I'm even more going to reach for that. Is this something that you do in your practices as well? Definitely. So I use a tool that's called Record It, and I can include a link to it in the show notes because it's a really nice tool where you can record your screen and then you can link people to that little video or you can easily convert it into a GIF. So I'm typically going through that flow of where I'm recording the interaction and then I'm waiting for Record It to process it. And then I click that little GIF button and then it converts it into a GIF for me. So I'm very excited that this will save me that step where I don't have to first convert it to a GIF to then add it to a PR because I'm a huge fan, especially if it's a user facing change, I really want to see a screenshot or I want to see something about that flow because then that's going to help set the scene as folks are reviewing my code. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I use Giphy. They have a recorder that works and has a very minimal editing functionality built in. So I found that to be good. But again, it was always outputting GIFs, but it also has the ability to output, I think it's MP4s, I forget which, but whatever it is, GitHub now happily supports it, puts it in a little details summary, collapsy expandy element too, which I really like. The GIFs would just previously be, this is an image and it's using native markdown stuff to render the image. But now the movie handling that GitHub has is even one layer more where it's rendering it as a detail summary element which is fancy and nice and good. What? That's amazing. Yeah, because I always take those couple of extra seconds to then add those details and then collapse it so people can opt in to, you know, showing that full video or GIF. That's amazing. That has totally just been a highlight of my day now that you've shared this with me. We are truly living in the future. But actually, looping back, you were commenting there. So the reason that I think both of us put videos into our pull requests is so that people, when they're reviewing it, have more context, can better understand. And I think for me, it's sort of preempting questions and preempting objections, if anything, in the positive way of like, here's as much information as possible so that you, the reviewer, are able to successfully review this and efficiently review it. But I, there's one other thing that I do that I'm wondering if this is something that you do. And then I have some other follow-on questions. But to start... One of the practices that I have is I'll often go through and review my own code on GitHub after I've opened the PR and actually comment on it in a number of places. And so I will assume, like if there's a part of the code that's a little bit weird, I'm like, yeah, I know that this is weird. Here's the reason that I did this. And so I'll sprinkle those in throughout. So A, my question is, do you do that? B, 
Is that a bad sign? Is that a heuristic that I should be doing something else? Should that be a code comment? I don't think so, but it's a question I have now. Oh, that second one. Yeah, that second one's interesting. All right, for the first one, I do. I really enjoy narrating my own code. So whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we can untangle here in a moment. But I really like pointing out the things that I've learned or anything, as you just highlighted a moment ago, any oddities about some of the things that I've faced. And I find myself often seeking out advice for writers, because then I tend to think about my PRs and even my commits too as short stories for then someone to review. So I really want them to get everything that they need out of it and then also enjoy it. So I'm going to take a slight detour here because I'm going to nerd out on this for a moment because this is something that resonates with me. Uh, So there's four main types of writing that I'm familiar with. There's expository, there's descriptive, persuasive, and narrative. And each writing style has its own purpose. And most of the time, I probably fall into the expository category just because I'm explaining a concept, something about my code, or imparting some information. But I really enjoy finding those moments where I get to use more of a narrative style that brings like characters and conflict and adventure into my commits and into my PRs because we are often making changes that then were inspired by people or are going to impact people. So I want to highlight how that change is then going to affect others. What challenges did I face along the way? And then what can others expect going forward once that code is merged in? So short answer, yes. And then long answer, see previous answer. (laughs) That was fantastic. And I'm so glad I got to go on that ride there. I really like the way you frame that as like narrating your code. I think that's a really interesting framing and the idea of telling more of a story there. That's definitely something that I think about a lot in terms of commits, trying to capture the context and where do we start and what did we try and throw away? And then what did we end up in? Like what's the out and back that got us to where we are now? An interesting one that I'm, I'm remembering now is actually something that I often do with pull requests is highlighting sections that I'm not thrilled with. So I'm like, I tried my best to this is my best. Here we go, everyone. But if you have, and so I will say, like, I tried a couple of different things here. This is what I've settled on. I think it could be better, and I welcome anything. So, like, trying to highlight points where I'm like, definitely this. Please tell me if you have an idea here, because I don't love this, which does imply that I like the rest of it, which I guess is probably true. But I don't know, suddenly I feel <laughs> like, look, this is perfect. So I don't even look at that. But this thing here, this is a problem. So focus on the problem. No. But it is specifically saying, like, I would love alternative ideas here. And that's something that I tend to do a good amount. Whereas my question earlier about should these explanatory comments be code comments, I think I actually do those pretty rarely because if I feel myself needing to do that, I will go back and rename a method, extract something, try and reframe things so that I I don't need a comment in the code. But yeah, I do like that version of like, this is the spot. Can you help me out here? I love that you just highlighted that other part about also highlighting code that maybe we're less than happy with or something that we're looking for improvements around, because that's something that I really struggled with, especially in the beginning of learning to code, where I always thought my PRs had to be perfect. And if I was getting comments on my PRs, and that was a very negative thing, and it meant that my code wasn't good enough. And I have since completely changed that line of thinking where I am very excited when there's always comments and that people are engaged and interested and that there's things for me to adjust or improve or talk about. And I love that we can use those PRs for that space too, to highlight, to say, hey, this is the journey I went on. This is what I came out with. I don't know if it's great. And I would love and appreciate feedback because that encourages people who are reviewing it because providing some critical feedback can be daunting. A lot of people aren't confrontational individuals. So we don't know, like, should we comment on this? Should we give them this feedback? So if you can go ahead and open it up to folks and say, yes, please give me your feedback, then that's encouragement to the reader to do so. 
Yeah, I like that framing on it. Uh, there's an anecdote that comes to mind of, I have no idea where this comes from, but it's a thing that's stuck in my head. And it's about the idea of 30% versus 90% feedback. And the way I understand it is there was like a manager who, if someone was like, hey, can I get your feedback on this? The manager would reply, do you want my 30% or my 90% feedback? 30% means like this thing's 30% of the way along. It's very early. So we're just looking for big picture. Is this heading in the right direction? Versus 90%, we're saying this is 90% done and feel free to be as nitpicky and detail-oriented in the feedback as possible. I think actually GitHub now having the draft PRs, I like that they have a, a foundational way to represent that in the UI. Like, hey, this is a work in process, but just sort of directionally, is this architecture even something that we want to go for or do we want to burn this down and go a different direction? And I like having that as a structure. But again, like you're saying, that's also something that we can do as authors to say like, hey, very open to different ideas here. This is just a stab right now. Does anyone have different thoughts? Yeah, that's really cool. I haven't heard of that before, that whole 30 versus 90% feedback. Circling back to your other question about whether this is a positive versus a negative trend that we are adding comments or that we're narrating our own PRs. I'm curious, what kind of gives you the inclination or concern that this could be a negative thing? I think I, maybe one or two people have received that feedback of, do you think you could add a comment here in the code to clarify that? And often at that point, if I feel strongly that it's the wrong thing, I won't. But if I've gone to the level of commenting in the PR and then the person's reaction is, yeah, that little bit of context would be really good adjacent to the code, I will do that, particularly because if I'm in someone else's code base and their style, I'm okay with leaning into that a little bit more. But as I think about it, that's probably not the most common case. Occasionally I'm looking at I'm like, this code looks weird. Here's why. And in those cases, that's an example where a code comment maybe makes sense. But again, the code comments go out of date. And so maybe that just belongs in the commit message, which I definitely do write them there when I have some significant oddity in the code that I want to capture. But yeah, it was sort of just a question. It was a thing I was thinking about that I do. And I was like, yeah, should this be different? Should I be thinking about this differently? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. I guess I have thought about it in terms where if something feels valuable or I realize after I've left it as a PR comment, I'm like, oh, this this does feel really important that then I'll add it into the commit message itself. That's where I'd like to keep it because to me, that's really the, that's the introduction. That's, that's the whole short story. That's where I want people to go if they have any questions about a change versus adding it as a comment to the code. But I hadn't really considered whether adding comments into my PR if all of those should be in the commit message. And I tend to think not because it, it circles back to the idea of making it easy for people to say yes. And the fact that everybody on our team is very busy, they may be working on different parts of the code base. And so if I am asking them to review something with me, I want to help them out as much as possible. And if that means providing some additional context, then that's really what I'm looking to do. But I don't necessarily want to stitch all of that into the code itself. Because then, as you mentioned, that can get out of date. It may be less relevant. It just doesn't feel like the proper place to store that context. But yet someone who is getting sort of like pulled out of their focus to then come look at my code, it feels appropriate to give them context in that space to help them review it. So you're saying I should continue behaving exactly as I have been. I like that. That answer. would be my vote. I'm, I'm for it. One last thing, actually, now that now that we've looped around all of these different ideas, coming back to the idea of opening a PR a little bit earlier on, looking for that 30% feedback or however you want to frame it. This is something that I often end up encouraging other developers to do. I'll notice that folks often have a tendency to try and get it quote unquote right or finished or ready for PR. And I'm often encouraging, no, 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 open it up, throw up a branch, however you want to do it. But I would love to have the conversation earlier, especially because occasionally there'll be a time where someone works on something for a few days and they're it keeps being like, oh, yeah, I'm almost ready to open the PR a few days in a row at stand up. And then finally, when they do, I'm like, oh, 
Uh, so there's some fundamental things here that I wish we could have caught earlier. Let's probably pair on this. Let's talk about it. But we end up sort of reshaping the whole thing anyway. And so getting into, I think, within a group, the habit of saying it is fine to open a PR very early, to have it as a as a conversation starter, not as the last thing right before the code gets into the code base. So if I could go back and give advice to my younger self, opening PRs sooner and not holding it so close to the chest and waiting until I thought it was perfect, that would be one of the top things that I would tell myself. In addition, I'm sure to like, you know, buy certain stock, place certain bets. But outside of that, more for career growth, I would advise myself, open PR sooner, ask for feedback. And that was a lesson that I actually learned from watching a colleague of mine, because they would open their PRs pretty early. And initially, I thought, you know, that's that's so rude. You're opening a PR in such like a draft state, you're not even close to done. And you're getting all these comments because it's not near completion. But I realized that person was frankly shipping more often than I was, because they were getting that feedback, they were really getting that 30% feedback that you referenced. And so it's helping them drive their further decisions. And then they were getting out PRs more frequently than I was. So that's when I started to pivot and realize that I wanted to push up the code as soon as possible to get some feedback. I do still feel like there's a nuance there where I still don't want to push it up so soon that then I feel like it's clutter to the team because I want people to know, yes, I'd really love your feedback on this or please don't look at it just yet because I have fallen into that where I see a PR open. So I go through it a bit too thoroughly and the other person was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm about to totally change that. So there was no need for you to look at that. And I'm like, well, shoot, I just wasted like 30 minutes pouring over the code. So I do think there's still a balance that if you are going to push stuff up early, use that draft state, find a way to communicate. I really want that 30% feedback or I want 90% feedback or don't look at it at all. I just want to push it up. So that way, in case I win the lottery and quit my job, that y'all know that this code is here. So that would be my take. I agree with you that encouraging folks to push up code sooner is a really great approach and then communicating the state of that code I have also noticed that during morning syncs or during stand-up, that's often a good time where I'll notice if someone is repeating that they are still working on a particular challenge. So if it's been a couple of uh, syncs where we've discussed and they say that they're still pushing along this piece of work, but they haven't really provided any context as to what is a particular struggle with that work or how it's going, then that often lets me know that it's probably time to reach out to that person and just offer some, you know, would you like a second set of eyes? How's it going? Like, can I offer any help in any way? Because I've experienced that's typically a sign that that person's struggling, but maybe they don't want to reach out for help or there's something that's making them hesitant about asking for help. So I appreciate that you included that example, too. If when you hear someone saying repetitively that they're working on the same thing, it's probably a good idea to reach out to them and just see how it's going, see where you can offer some help. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, Scout APM. Scout APM is quickly becoming my go-to performance monitoring tool for Rails apps. I love opening it up to see a prioritized list of issues that I can quickly knock out before end users ever see them. With the weekly digest and alerts, I can rest easy knowing that Scout will let me know if issues arise. Ultimately, Scout APM empowers developers to spend more time building great products by minimizing the effort required to identify and resolve performance issues. Scout's developer-centric approach quickly pinpoints N plus one queries, memory bloat, and other abnormalities. Their tracing logic saves me a ton of time by tying bottlenecks back to the line of code causing the issue. Give Scout a try for free today, and you'll have the performance insights you've been dreaming of within four minutes. Sign up through scoutapm.com slash bikeshed, and Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. So give it a try, and thanks again to Scout for sponsoring this episode of The Bike Shed. 
The other thing I was hoping to chat with you about today is generally the topic of async communications. When we were doing our end of year top 10 list last year, we sort of touched on the idea of async communication and you mentioned having ideas and thoughts and thought about actually running a handful of experiments. So I'm super interested to hear more about those and perhaps share a bit of my adventures as everyone's been remote this year and we've all been forced into this world. But yeah, what, uh, what have you been thinking in that space? I think it is still just such an adventure. Uh, there are some new tools that we've added that I've really appreciated. And I have liked more of a thoughtful pivot to async communication. I have found a lot of value in that approach. So from the high level perspective of like what new tools that we're using, we are using a lot less of Slack. Uh, so I think we've actually talked about this a little bit in some previous episodes, which we can link to in show notes. But we are using Slack less and we're explicitly using it more for social reasons. So if we just want to talk to each other, we have some really fun channels that may be location specific or also could be we have like an adulting channel where we can talk about all the things that are challenging about being an adult and taxes and who knows. (laughs) So we use Slack as more of a social tool now and we're using Basecamp for more like this is where work happens. So we're using the projects to track our different projects that we have. And then also, even if we just have questions for each other. So one of the great things with ThoughtBot is even though like we are on different projects, we still have access to each other. So we often hop into the Slack channels to say, hey, I'm having a Ruby problem, or I'm having an issue with Elm or Elixir, like who can help me out with this or who has advice or experience in this particular area. And we've shifted those conversations over to Basecamp as well, where we can just pose questions. And that one has been a struggle for me just because I really love that it's in Basecamp. I find that the questions are more thoughtful and provide more context. And then also you get to see all the questions people are asking without worrying that, did anybody see it? Was it scrolled past? What cool questions am I missing? Because it's now all in one spot. But it still feels a bit more formal to ask it in Basecamp versus just popping it into a Slack channel. So I still probably have like a 80-20 going right now where 80% is in Basecamp, but every now and then I still pop into like our Ruby channel and I'll ask a question there. So that one, I'm, I'm slowly still emotionally, I guess, moving all the way over to Basecamp, but I really do favor that more async approach. It's interesting because for me, even before the Basecamp thing, when I would look for help of that sort, it was often because I was I had hit a really acute problem and I just couldn't get past it. I'd done a bunch of Googling. I'd done the things that you're normally supposed to do. And I was like, I need some help now. And often I would actually look to people physically in the office with me. So that was, I, I wouldn't even go into Slack at that point, even though we did have the Ruby or, you know, whichever language or framework it was, we had rooms specific to that. And I knew that we had a wide group of knowledge. At that point, I felt it was useful to, or at least my my default mode was to opt for synchronous and ideally in-person communication to solve that. So that's a thing that has been a struggle. And the idea of moving that all the way into Basecamp, you end up introducing the async nature of that where you may not get a reply for a couple of hours, but now you're blocked. You're just stuck on that thing. And ideally you can shift to a different piece of work or something like that. But I don't know, I I don't like to wait, I guess it's my story. Yeah, that's fair. I don't know what this says about me as a person, but I kind of, I even forgot to talk about that part where we first, you know, just turned to each other because we used to be in the same physical location. (laughs) That took me back. Uh, for a moment in the long long ago when we had a very interruptive style of working and it could be slightly unique to us as well because of how our team even though we are a cohesive team we're on different projects so Basecamp feels appropriate for we have those questions but 
within the context of the team that I'm working with, you do make a good point in terms that I'm still using Slack for that communication. So while I can't turn to them and ask them, I'm likely going to ask in my client channel first and check with them. And then if I still have other questions, then I'm going to hop over to ThoughtBot Basecamp and ask a question there. So I am still looking for that slightly more immediate feedback but it just happens to work well with ThoughtBotters because we do have to provide more context for the project that we're on since we're on different projects. Yeah, that makes sense. Although I, I can definitely see the flip side and the positives of having Basecamp or a more structured conversation around things because then I think the ability to have those artifacts, the ability to like revisit them of, oh, Puma, Threadpool, something, something, like I can almost never find them in Slack when I'm trying to search back. I'm like, I know someone talked about this. It was only three weeks ago and yet it is buried in the history of Slack and it is just flowing away with the river of conversation that happens there. Whereas the more structured, purposeful conversation in something like Basecamp, feels like it will have greater utility down the road. Have you found that with the Basecamp threads that you're revisiting the more that they're they're providing more like long-term value? Yeah, artifacts is a perfect word there. I really appreciate the fact that we have this one place to go back and look for particular answers. So I think there used to be a tool that ThoughtBot used called Ask, where then folks would share commonly asked questions and then responses. And now we've essentially, we just use Basecamp for that. So we can share that, other people can browse. I also really like encouraging folks to not keep a constant eye on Slack. That feels really disruptive. And I even will take time to change my status to say that I'm signing out of Slack for a little while if I need some additional help downtime so people know that I'm still around, but I'm intentionally not looking at Slack for a little while. So that's one of the other reasons I like the pivot to something that's like Basecamp or a little more async communication. You don't get the feedback as quickly, but then you're also gaining back some time, at least in my experience, where I don't feel like I have to monitor something all the time. So a little give and take between you're losing some of that responsiveness, but then also getting back some of your own choice to opt into conversations. Yeah, one thing I mentioned a number of episodes back was a tool that I worked with called Telegram, which is another chat tool, but it was used with one of the organizations I was working with, particularly because it had voice messages as part of it, which was a really interesting and novel and different thing that I hadn't really experienced before, especially in the world of async, where you're trying to capture a message, send it over to someone and you know hand that off. And it was, I would say, one of the most double-edged swords I've ever seen. <laughs> That analogy doesn't make sense, but you get it. It's fine. It was really great for more emotional or subjective feedback. Here's how I'm feeling. I'm a little bit concerned about this. I'm thinking we might want to head in this direction. Conversations like that, that are not actionable so much as I want to give you a taste, a flavor of how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, that sort of stuff. And I found that they were really great for capturing that because voice can just capture more emotion and more subtlety and nuance and all of that. I'd say it's a higher bandwidth thing than text in that sense. But absolutely terrible for any sort of communication of work to be done of you know, here's the status of all these three projects. Like, oh, I remember the third one that you said because it came last, but it completely wiped the other ones from my brain. And now I have to either go back to the beginning of the message or something. So the organization that I was working with, they were using it well in that more sort of conversational get a, a tone for the day method. Often it was like end of day, just do a quick summary of how stuff is, how stuff going. So sort of the opposite of a stand up end of day and via an async recorded message. Um, but yeah, that was that was a really interesting one that I don't know that I would reach for it moving forward, but it was a fun experiment, at least for me to get to experience working with that group. Yeah, the sending someone a voicemail or a voice message part is interesting to me because it loses some of the value in my mind of you're still getting like you get to opt into when you want to listen to that message. But one of the reasons I really like 
the async communication of something that's like Basecamp is because it gives the author time to think about what it is they want to ask and provide all that context, which you could do for a voice message as well. But we're more likely to probably just do a little bit more of just saying what's top of mind, whether that's really helpful for the other person versus if I'm writing it down, I have a chance to edit and really think about it and provide links to other things. So I would also find receiving the voice message more, I think, just stressful because then I feel like I have to take maybe better notes or it's not going to be as well thought out in terms of how I'm receiving that feedback. It's also very much one-sided and then listening to someone. So I, I could see how that may not be the best experience. But then, I mean, if people love it, that's awesome. It's not a tool that I've worked with, but I, I could see where I would have some hesitancy around using something like that versus sending someone a post or something that then they can read instead and then respond to. Yeah, I think all of that is spot on. And actually, one of the things that I didn't mention, but it's an idea I have in my head around this is whenever there's an inherent dynamic, so say it's like a manager communicating to someone on their team, I think the voice message would be a very bad way to go. Because as you said, it's a less structured, less thought out, you're kind of just talking and recording it. And so you need to be careful, and I think purposeful in that sort of communication when you're a manager, making sure that you're using the right words and all of those sort of things so that you don't concern anyone. And so I think it's actually a really bad tool for any sort of hierarchical communication as well. I think maybe in the small edge case, like co-founders shooting quick messages back and forth, it can be great for that. Because I really do think it can be a unique way to capture things without interrupting someone else. Because a phone call obviously does this, but then you have to synchronously connect. So it can do that. But there, there are so many little caveats that again, mostly I would just not do that again, but it's super interesting to try. Along those lines, in terms of like when we connect and when we're choosing intentionally to not connect with each other synchronously, how do you feel about keeping up certain rituals like maybe stand up? Would you still keep those with your team, even though you are taking that time out to the meet with each other and chat? Would you prefer that be async as well? Ooh, interesting. I feel like there are layers to this question because I think in the past, you and I have talked about stand up more generally. Even when we're working in person, we've worked with organizations that really didn't like stand up or had stand up that went for 45 minutes and had multiple different layers. And stand up is in and of itself just kind of a complicated, subtle thing, despite the fact that it should be just you stand up and you talk. But here we are. I'm a big fan of stand up, though. I always have been, and perhaps especially now so. It's something that I definitely want to keep. I've heard folks that really want that truly async, disconnected mode of working. I want to do my stuff on my schedule, and I want to communicate or exchange touch points primarily through text in an async fashion, and that's how we collaborate. I think for a certain type of individual, that may work really well. I am not that type of individual. I value the in-person, occasionally synchronous connection points. I also have found when stand-up is done well, it breaks everyone's day. But I've found that it's worth that because those little moments where someone says, hey, I've been doing this, I'm stuck on it. And someone else is like, oh, let me help you with that. And suddenly we've connected two people and hopefully broken through something that was a blocker. Or someone says something that they don't even think is important, but someone else is like, whoa, 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 wait, I'm sorry, what was that? And suddenly you realize that there's actually a situation that needs to be resolved or someone's got a date wrong or any number of things. But I found that stand-up can be extremely high value and keeping it synchronous is something that I have found value in. Again, totally understand if there are folks who are like, no, I just I, I don't want to 
break up my day. I want to be on my schedule, etc. But I'm still a fan of video standup, given the, the nature of the world. Uh, and actually, it, an interesting facet of it is standup has become a little bit more social as well. And I've been fine with that in the organizations that I've been working with. Typically, I'm a little bit of a harsh taskmaster. It's like, no, 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 let's stand up. We keep it focused. Keep it. You can talk after if you want to have friend time, but not actually, but trying to make sure that we're moving through it in an efficient fashion and it's as useful as possible. And now I'm like, yeah, let's chat. It's fine. We don't really see people anymore. We're not allowed to go out in the world. But that is sort of unique to the other complications of the universe right now. And in a future world where we just, because we want to work from home, then I think I still want it, but a little more constrained probably. What about you? I'm going to take a slightly harder stance on it in terms of whether how people feel or don't feel about it. And it doesn't have to be specifically stand up, but I do think it's really important for teams to keep something that is akin to a daily sync, just because I think it's really important that we all give each other some level of social energy because everyone on that team is different. So if I'm the person who I don't necessarily find it as valuable, or I don't necessarily want to spend some of that social time, I do think it's important for that team cohesion that we do get together every so often, and then we talk. And then it also gives someone else on the team a chance to raise a question or a concern that they have, or like you'd mentioned over here that someone's working on something that they're interested in. So I do think it's incredibly important to a team's culture and then their ability to reach out to each other and feel comfortable with each other to have something that is like a daily stand-up, a daily sync, and then also following some guidelines around keeping it short. So then you are respecting people's time because you are asking them to also come and attend this event. So there's a really important balance there, but I think it's really important. I was, as you started there, I thought it was going to be one of those rare, I totally disagree with you and we found our thing. And then nah, turns out we agree. You just decided for stronger terms about it. (laughs) I still agree with you. I just, you and I really strive to be respectful of other people's perspective and what works best for other teams. And so uh, I think that's why I was saying I'm going to take a slightly harder stance on this, where I I do very much want to respect what works best for a team, but then I also strongly believe in certain processes that each team should have that then I've just seen makes that team a better team and helps them work together more efficiently and frankly, be happier as well. So that's why I was leading that up with, I'm going to take a stronger stand on this, where I do think it is incredibly important for teams to figure out a space where their team can get together and carve it out as part of their daily routine, where we do get together. We talk a little bit about work. Maybe we make it more social as well. You can prioritize work first for folks and then have other people hang on for the social bit if they like. But I think carving out that space is really important. That's actually uh, an interesting framing. I I was thinking of stand up more specifically in the like, this is that meeting where we talk about what we're working on and try and connect people and highlight blockers, etc. But I I like the social element that you're talking about there, because that's actually the last sort of question that I had in my mind around async communication is, with this move, I think there are the huge positives of async communication in that it lets people have more focused heads down, get the work done time, really the deep work sort of things that people talk about. And I think there's a ton of benefit and value there. But the trade-off is we've lost a lot of the social and just sort of happenstance interactions of working with folks. And I'm wondering, what has your experience been like with that? Have you gone out of your way to like have coffee chats with people or anything like that? or found other ways to sort of backfill that? Are you pairing remotely more? Or are you finding that you just have sort of less interaction with people now? And and how are you feeling about that? So there's like 10 questions. And there you go. (laughs) 
The real honest answer is yes, I'm definitely getting less interaction time with folks. And then for my personality, that happens to be okay because I'm comfortable and then reaching out to people and then scheduling additional times for us to hang out. And I do think this is incredibly challenging. Like this is what often in my mind outside of like the actual technical challenge, but then the social aspect of like, how do we still keep teams working together if they are in different physical locations? And a lot of companies, like we don't really have that figured out because there are some people who really want that. I'm with my coworkers, I'm not at home, and they prefer that style of working. And then there's other people that are a little bit more like me, like we're okay with reaching out when we're ready for some social interaction or okay to reach out to ask for a pairing time. And that's something that I try to be more aware of in terms of my colleagues of understanding what is it that helps them feel their best at work and how they're interacting with people. One of the things that we just added to our base camp today is we've added some social aspects where folks can self-organize events. So if we're doing more games or if we're doing sort of like bring a beer and paint supplies and we're just going to hop on a video chat and we're going to paint together, I'm excited for folks who have that skill to think about all their other fellow coworkers who need that more organized, let's get together and hang out and collaborate. So I am far more likely to hop on a video chat now because that just feels super normal. But I have lost that ability to just reach over and tap somebody on the shoulder and ask them a question. But then in some ways, that's really good because then I have to ask it in a more public space and someone else gets to hear it. And so we're having less siloed conversations. So I have this, this is my internal dialogue right now between there are some benefits to this approach and then some downfalls. Honestly, it's it's a hard problem in how to keep everybody engaged and make sure we still have opportunities to collaborate while also supporting everybody's independent working style. Yep. That basically maps 100% to my experience. To touch on one of the positives that you talked about there that I have certainly experienced, the idea that you're more happy to hop on a video chat now, that that's sort of been normalized. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily be my preferred way. Like if I can grab a coffee or grab a beer with anyone in the world, that is great. That's what I want to do. But that is not an option. And if I'm being honest with myself, wasn't an option for many of the people in my world for a long time. And one of the weird little positives that I've found in this transition to remote work for everyone and everybody being on Zoom all the time is it is a little bit more. I feel less weird reaching out to someone who I haven't talked in a while and be like, hey, do you want to hop on a video call some night this week and catch up? And that's become a little bit more normal of a thing for me. And I've been able to maintain and foster some relationships that I don't think I would have otherwise. So while work has certainly become more complicated, and I think, like you said, there are good efforts that people are making all around that. I'm sort of interested in that other side of it. how it's sort of blurring those boundaries and doing that thing that the internet was promised to do. So, you know, very much a cup half full, like you said, but uh, there are positives. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, when it comes to this whole remote work and async communication is I'm very aware of my preferences and what works for me, because I'm experiencing this trend in a very positive way, where I like a lot of the positives that have come out of this new style of communication. But I also realize it's really challenging for other people. Not everybody really likes this shift to more async communication or the fact that they're working remote. So that's just something that I'm always thinking about. It's like, yes, this is really great for me, but I also know it's very challenging for others. And I want to make sure that we're finding communication styles that really work for everybody. I love the framing that you have there because my experience, I'm honestly somewhat surprised by how well I've taken to this mode of working. But I similarly have people that I know closely that are, are not happy in this world. And so it'll be interesting to see what the return looks like when there are more options available again. And will we see return to offices? I expect so. But then it's always difficult when you have a split between async and in person. And so how do you structure teams? And will will an organization just sort of decide culturally we're 100% remote or we're 100% in person? And you sort of you 
pick one camp or the other? Is hybrid a thing that's going to really work? I'm overcomplicating the questions now, and we should probably wrap up. Oh my gosh, but you make such a good point. When we go back to more of a hybrid approach and teams have to like more intentionally opt in to one approach or the other. Yes, we will. We will save that. We will wait and see and circle back to that conversation. Whenever that happens, we will revisit that because as complicated as this new reality is, the mixed reality will be even more of a thing. But yeah, with that, I think we should wrap up. Let's wrap up. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm. This show is produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you enjoyed listening, one really easy way to support the show is to leave us a quick rating or even a review on iTunes as it really helps other folks find the show. If you have any feedback for this or any of our other episodes, you can reach us at at underscore bike shed or reach me at S on Twitter. And I'm at Chris Toomey or host at bike shed.fm via email. Thanks so much for listening to the bike shed and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.